The Rocky Mountains hold many mysteries. Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty, but some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm Melanie here with my amazingly talented friend, Becky. Thank you. The stories we share are remembered by some, but forgotten by many. Let's dive into Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Hello, friends. Hope you're all well. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah, I, we hope everyone is doing well, healthy, enjoying their day or night, depending on when you're listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for inviting us into your ears. Yes. Rocky Mountain Red-Handed is growing every single week. So please keep doing what you're doing. Keep sharing with friends and family and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. And just a reminder, make sure that you are subscribed and following us on our social medias. We do have our t-shirt giveaway coming up. I'm wearing mine today. That'll be this fall. You look super hot. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Uh, That'll be this fall. So make sure you're following us when the kids are back in school and our brains can function again. We'll be putting that all together. So we'd love to give some away. Make sure you're connected to us. And the t-shirts are so soft. soft. You guys, we didn't skimp. We went for the premium t-shirts. Yeah, they're super soft. I care. I want a nice soft t-shirt. Exactly. Yeah. We want you to wear them. Yes. So with that, should we get started, Mel? Let's do it. We're going to share a story today that starts in a beautiful Montana Creek and ends on the rocky cliffs of the main coastline. This is the story of Leslie Larson. The Judith Basin Press printed an article on Wednesday, June 25th, 1975, that surely affected the tight-knit community of Great Falls, Montana. The headline read, quote, Memorial services held for Leslie Larson. Memorial services for Mrs. Dennis R. Leslie Gale Larson, 20, 424 26th Street South, Great Falls, assumed drowned in Little Prickly Pear Creek near Wolf Creek, June 10th, were held Monday evening at 7.30 p.m. in the First Presbyterian Church. Reverend H.R. Anderson Jr. officiated. Mrs. Larson is the former Leslie Reynolds, daughter of Mr. and Mrs. William T. Reynolds, 412 Riverview Drive East. She and her husband, a carpenter, were picking mushrooms when the soil on which she was standing gave way. She was dropped into the swollen stream. Lewis and Clark County Sheriff's Office said the woman's husband was nearly swept away by the swift current as he searched for her in the creek. Subsequent search has failed to yield the body. Born in Great Falls, Mrs. Larson attended local schools and was graduated from C.M. Russell High School in 1972. After completing a VoTech dental assistance course, she was employed for a short time by Dr. William H. Gold before her marriage to Larson in early 1974. She was a member of the First Presbyterian Church. The family includes her husband and parents, an infant daughter, Julia Ann, sisters Shelley, Annette, and Susan Reynolds, all of Great Falls. Grandparents, Mr. and Mrs. Rollins Galt of Stanford. The family prefers memorials be directed to the Montana Easter Seal Society. End of article. So, side note, Montana Eastern Seal Society is still in business, actually. It's a non-for-profit that helps provide opportunity and job skills for individuals with disabilities and low-income older adults, which is just super cool. Very cool. That really speaks to, like, what kind of person she was and her family is. That's, like, really cool. So our story begins with a beautiful young mother losing her life in the spring runoff of Little Prickly Pear Creek. She was there with her husband. Surely she was like soaking in the beautiful spring day after being buried in the snow and the cold there in Montana. 
The trees and flowers were in full bloom, and the little prickly pear creek was full and rushing with the snowmelt from the higher elevations. As the Montana Standard describes Little Prickly Pear Creek, quote, the tributary of the Missouri carves through the towering walls of Wolf Creek Canyon north of Helena to its confluence with the river near Wolf Creek. Little Prickly Pear Creek is like a popular fishing spot, especially brown and rainbow trout, which I love. There's like nothing better than fresh trout. The area is also popular for another outdoor hobby, mushroom picking. In Montana, mushroom hunting season is from like mid-April through like early summer in lower elevations. Once the snow starts melting and temperature warms up, then it's prime mushroom hunting season. Wesley Gale Reynolds Larson was visiting Little Prickly Pear Creek that day. She was looking for delicious mushrooms to use in one of her homemade dinners for her little family. Okay, have you ever been mushroom picking? I have not, have you? No, I think it sounds awesome, though. That is cool. Yeah. My husband loves mushrooms. Yes, she was a young woman who lived for her family. As the article told us, Leslie had graduated from high school in 1972 and completed a dental assistant program and worked in the field for just a short time. She then met and fell in love with a young man named Dennis Larson. Dennis Larson was a local boy from Great Falls, Montana. He was quiet and very focused in his studies at Great Falls High School, until he graduated in 1968. He spent the next several years working odd jobs all over Montana. While he was working at a ski resort that was high up in the mountains of Montana, his life was changed. That is where he met Leslie Gell Reynolds, who was just 19 years old at the time. The couple fell in love quickly and married in June of 1974. Eight months later, Leslie gave birth to their precious little daughter, Julia Ann. And about a year after their marriage, they decided to spend that afternoon out picking mushrooms. They drove 50 miles south of Great Falls and walked more than a mile into the Montanas to Prickly Pear Creek. The creek, which is normally like a small, shallow waterway, was extremely high due to the snowmelt. The creek was actually 10 times higher than normal that summer day. That is crazy. This is where like maybe some common sense should have like kicked in. And you say to yourself, maybe we shouldn't approach this, like, scary rushing river, right? I would think that Dennis, like, he was an avid outdoorsman. He should have known better, right? Yeah, I would think so. Reportedly, Leslie was definitely not dressed for an outdoor adventure. She was wearing simple slip-on canvas shoes that were white and navy, size 7. So, like, I'm picturing, like, Keds, mm -hmm. right? Is that picture. what you're picturing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That, like, those shoes that you can, like, just slip on and off. They're almost like boating shoes, right? Mm -hmm. Shoes that you really don't want to be wearing while you're, like, navigating a rocky <laughs> creek side with rushing water nearby. Yes, they don't seem sure. safe. Yeah, not safe at all. Leslie was also wearing a yellow smock, which those smocks were, like, really popular in the 1970s, with green, pink, purple, and blue little flowers all over them. She was wearing blue jeans and all of her jewelry. She was wearing, like, a gold watch, a chain bracelet, and her beloved antique gold wedding set. She'd always worn her hair long, but she'd recently cut it into like a short stylish bob, which she really loved. And she was also wearing her copper wire-rimmed glasses that day. I mean, I don't know about you, Becky, but if I'm going out in nature, going hiking, spending time in the rocks, like a long hike in the forest, I don't wear my jewelry. I leave like my rings and stuff behind. Yeah, me either. Like, like, with her shoes and the outfit choices and jewelry on, I feel like she wasn't expecting, like, a hike and a wild creek. Right? I agree. It doesn't seem like it. Dennis Larson told officials that while the couple was enjoying their outing and looking for mushrooms, 
the riverbank gave way under Leslie and she was swept away into the fast current. Larson claimed he jumped into Little Prickly Pear Creek and tried to reach his wife, but he couldn't navigate the waters. He reported the last time he saw her, she had just went under a fallen log and she never resurfaced. Both Cascade and Judith Basin counties were called in and began a search for the young mother. According to the Montana Standard in 1988, Prickly Pear Creek feeds into the Missouri River, which is dotted with hydro dams. So these hydro dams stop debris in the river. No one can remember a drowning victim simply like disappearing from Prickly Pear Creek. Sooner or later, the body always shows up at one of these dams, right? Yet this time there was no recovery. To this day, Leslie Larson's remains have never been found. For years after Leslie's disappearance, searchers have combed the river looking for any kind of clues. Leslie's own parents, William and Lewis Reynolds, spent years searching the river. They would turn over rocks, looking for pieces of clothing or any sign of their daughter. That makes me so sad. Oh, that is really sad. Yeah. The day of her fall, the authorities caught something extremely suspicious. Remember how Larson said, like, he dove dove into the water after his wife, like he tried to catch her? Um, Well, when they got there, well, he was bone dry and his clothes were completely unsoiled. Like his clothing, hair, shoes, everything was completely in order. He did not look like a man that even had, like, his toe in the water that day. That's so weird, but he claimed that he had, like, jumped in and tried to save his wife. Yeah, that's what he said. Leslie's death was declared an accidental drowning. Leslie's family was obviously heartbroken. Her mother, Lois, told the Montana Standard in 1988, quote, He said it was an accident, and we had no reason to treat it any other way. He gave us no other indication. We thought he was a grieving husband. Of course, I was so upset at the time, I might have missed some things, end quote. In hindsight, Lois feels she may have been naive not to look into the possibility of foul play. That makes me sad. Of course, you're going to, like, assume that your son-in-law wouldn't hurt your daughter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's take our first break. Give your brain the natural nutrients, blood flow, and neurotransmitter support it needs to make the fight with depression an unfair fight. Get stronger daily with Whole Supplement. Build momentum each day with the Whole Depression Relief Stack the three targeted daily formulas that will help you feel, enjoy, and progress again. So, how do you take the whole stack? One, wake up formula. Take wake up in the morning with a glass of water to kick off your day with motivation and energy. Number two is the daytime formula. Take daytime around lunch to ensure you have the focus, mood, and productivity to power through the day. That sounds like something we all need. Number three, the sleep it off formula. Take Sleep It Off about an hour before you plan to go to sleep for amazing rest and brain support that will consistently set you up for better days. I've experienced depression since I was a teen. I try to do my best to take care of my mental and emotional health and manage my anxiety and depression. But even with medication, I can find myself struggling in some days. I started taking Whole Supplement just a couple weeks ago, and I already feel like I am giving my body the armor it needs to win the fight each and every day. The ingredients in whole supplements have been used for hundreds of years. They just haven't been put together this way to help people struggling with depression. There are no proprietary blends and no hidden ingredients in whole supplement. So here's Adam Steer, founder and CEO of Whole Supplement. I started Whole Supplement 
with the mission to help others who, like myself, have struggled with finding relief from depression and anxiety. Our number one goal is to empower everyone we can to make meaningful progress every single day. So now is the time to take care of your emotional and mental health. During the pre-launch offer, you can receive the entire whole depression relief stack at 15% off. Go to wholesupplement.com and use code ROCKYMOUNTAIN. Again, go to wholesupplement.com and use coupon code ROCKYMOUNTAIN. Simplify your fight with the whole stack from Whole Supplement. A big thank you to our sponsors. Dennis Larson collected $20,000 from the insurance policy on Leslie's life. Montana authorities have reported that they believe he may have had additional benefits for $30,000 as well. A lot of money. Leslie's parents had no idea he had insured her life. Even after her, her disappearance, it was never talked about in a conversation, nothing. So life just went on. Larson went to school to become an electrician and found a new love. Just six months before he requested Leslie to be pronounced dead, he married Janine Whitney on New Year's Eve 1982. The couple thrived and began to buy and sell real estate. According to a district court filing, he owned five apartment buildings in Great Falls with a total value of $175,000, and this is back in 1983. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Larson became very comfortable using his insurance policies. Apparently, in 1984, he filed a claim with Allstate, the same company that held Leslie's life insurance policy, by the way, um, for $5,000. He reported a burglary with property loss. Spoiler alert, the burglary actually never happened. Just forward to 1988, Larson pleaded guilty to felony theft due to the false insurance claim. Okay, now back to 1984. Janine was a wonderful mother to Julia Ann, which is Leslie's daughter. Larson's second wife loved her so much and adopted her as her own. Yeah, yay for step-parents. Yeah, and also adoptive parents, right? Yeah, for sure. The couple ended up divorcing in May of 1987, and little Julia Ann actually stayed with Janine. Yeah, Larson reportedly traveled to the state of Maine to, quote, start a new life. Yet he told Janine it was temporary and he would move back within about two years. He settled into his new life in Maine and was employed at Great Northern Paper Company. He continued to correspond with Janine until August of 1987. Their connection seemed to flicker and really became non-existent over time. And they both just moved on. Larson was ready for a new companion, so he wrote a classified ad in the Bangor Daily News. So as one does, right? I guess that's like the 80s version of Tinder, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. I guess so. The ad first appeared in August 7th, 1987, and it read, quote, Construction worker, 37, 5'7", 135 pounds, active outdoorsman, thief compatible, childless lady, 20 to 35 years old for a lasting relationship. The ad ran 12 times in August of that year. This just seems so weird and creepy, but I guess it is kind of like Tinder these days. I know. I know. But also, like, he was searching for, like, she had to be younger than him. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Like, and putting childless lady, part of me was like, oh, jerk. But then also, it's like, you know, at least he's being straight up. Yeah. Like, he doesn't want to deal with kids, so... But it's sad he left. He has a kid that he left behind with another yeah. woman. And yeah. then like, I don't want anyone. Obviously, I think that man shouldn't have any more kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it didn't take long for him to find a love connection. Three women responded, and one of these women was Kathy Frost. On Sunday, August 23rd, Larson phoned her, and the relationship began. Kathy was 26 and was a small-town girl from Dexter, Maine. 
Kathy was bright and kind to everyone around her. She worked as an aide at a local nursing home, and she loved her job. We know that a woman is so much more than her appearance, um, but Kathy was very beautiful, um, but she did struggle with her weight. At almost 300 pounds, her confidence had suffered, and Kathy so wanted to be married. Friends and family of Kathy had unfortunately described her as someone who longed to be loved. She was, quote, an extremely desperate, lonely individual who was unable to get a man, end quote. Which, what kind of friend says that about you? I know, that's so sad. Like, she looks like a great person. She's yeah. a little overweight. Yeah. Less than a week after the initial phone call, Larson told Kathy he loved her and proposed on September 6th, three weeks after the couple had met. On September 16th, Larson went to his favorite business in the world, Allstate Insurance. Oh, man, this guy needs like a frequent customer punch card for all of his policies at Allstate. I don't know. Well, probably not. Probably. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's the same company that he had Leslie's policy through. So he apparently went to Allstate to ask about other different kinds of policies, which is kind of strange, right? Like before you actually marry a girl, you're already checking out and shopping policy options. It's very weird. Yeah. On September 20th, 1987, the couple was married at Kathy's mom's house. Kathy's mom's name is Audrey Pomeroy. They're in Bangor, Maine. Pomeroy later told the press that she was concerned about the union. She felt like Larson was like being really pushy and she didn't understand why they were in such a hurry to get married. So the day after the wedding, the couple visited Allstate together and they purchased two insurance policies a $200,000 policy for her and a $350,000 policy for him, naming each other as the single beneficiaries. So here's the important part. Each policy carried a double indemnity for accidental death. That means that the policy will pay double if the individual dies in an accident. Yeah, so just three weeks after their marriage, Kathy was having some extreme doubt. During court testimony, friends testified that she had told them she didn't love Larson, but she chose to marry him in hopes that she would learn to love him. Well, no surprise, after the marriage, Kathy seemed very unhappy to her loved ones. She complained about her new husband and his nonstop verbal abuse. She told friends she had made a mistake in marrying him, and she planned on, on telling him her feelings during the weekend of October 10th, which is the same weekend that she died. This makes me sad. Like she just seems she just seemed like she was so vulnerable yeah. at that time in her life. She just wanted a family. Mm -hmm. Like, ugh, this makes me sad. So Larson asked Kathy to spend the that exact weekend with him at Bar Harbor, just outside of Acadia National Park there in Maine. Kathy was not necessarily an outdoors person. Like she didn't like to hike or swim, and she had like a really bad phobia of heights. Yet, she agreed to go in hopes of pleasing him. The couple arrived on Saturday, October 10th and stopped at Otter Cliff, which is a popular outlook with, like, sheer vertical cliffs. Police say that the couple did not get out of the car because there were too many people in the area. The following day, around dusk on October 11th, the couple entered Acadia National Park again and headed straight back to Otter Cliffs. The weather was overcast with light rain, so the park was a lot less busy. In fact, they were completely alone at Otter Cliffs. Larson claimed that they went looking for otters, yet otters have never been seen in that section of the park. So it does seem weird that it's called Otter Cliffs, right? Yeah, yeah but apparently there's no otters at that part of the park. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Lars reported that the couple had like taken different paths to get to the cliff's edge. And while they were separated, he said he heard his wife scream. He said he ran to the outlook and saw his wife laying at the bottom of the cliff. It was an 80-foot drop to the rocks below. It was obvious she had died on impact. He ran and flagged down a passing motorist and then drove eight miles to Jordan Pond House, where he was able to contact the park ranger's office. The rescue effort was a huge undertaking for officials. Rescuers risked their lives, and they had to rappel down the sheer cliff to get to Kathy's body. Larson showed very little emotion on the scene. Apparently, he just waited while leaning against a large rock. Roger Blaine of Acadia's East District Ranger's office told the media, quote, He simply stood there, leaning against a boulder. He really had no reaction at all. I thought that was a little odd, end quote. So we are going to take a last break to hear a word from our sponsors. Rocky Mountain Red-Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my Balance of Nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my Balance of Nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's Balance of Nature, promo code REDHANDED. Big thank you to our sponsors. Three days later, Kathy was laid to rest at Mount Pleasant Cemetery in her hometown, Dexter, Maine. Strangely, after the service, Larson checked himself in to the Veterans Administration Center in Maine, and he stayed there until October 20th. The reason for this has never been disclosed. Yeah, so I looked it up, and the Veterans Center in Maine offers, like, a variety of treatments. Are they both, like, physical and mental? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, he could have gone in there for mental duress. We have no clue. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so while Larson was at the Veterans Center, officials began the investigation into Kathy Larson's death. Park officials termed the death as suspicious and handed the case right over to Maine State Police. Friends and family did not hold back their suspicions of her death. Kathy was apparently terrified of heights, and she would have never, ever chosen to walk near a cliff's edge like that. If I ever fall off a cliff, you can just assume the same thing. I agree. Same with me. Yeah. Just days after the police inquiry began, the press started doing their own investigation. They discovered the suspicious death of Leslie back in Montana. But due to the integrity of the police investigation, they voluntarily held back the information from being published. Uh, That's awesome that the press did that, don't you think? Yeah. Police interviewed Larson's second wife, Janine Whitney. Remember the wonderful mother that took in Julie? And they saw that she was absolutely terrified of Larson. She shared details about how he spoke casually about getting his hands on a lot of money through insurance so he could, quote, wouldn't have to work and he could do whatever he want. Janine filed a court order against Larson, and I hate this. The order was actually denied. She and Julia Ann relocated to a new city in hopes of hiding from Larson. Later, it was shared that the city she chose to relocate to was St. Paul, Minnesota. If a woman is scared enough to, like, pick up her life and, like, sneak sneak out to another city, it's probably time to give her that court order, don't you think? Yeah, I agree. Dennis traveled back to Montana during the investigation of Kathy's death, but he left several packages at the Bangor International Airport. 
Maine State Police searched his apartment after his departure and were alarmed to find large quantity of dynamite being stored in the garage. There was no reason for Larson to have dynamite of any quantity, let alone stored like improperly in a residential garage. That's like super dangerous. That's yeah. The state police notified Bangor Police Department and they searched the airport and they took custody of Larson's abandoned bags. They were removed from the airport and exploded for safety. All that was found in the bags were tools and clothing. I didn't know you could, like, leave bags at the airport, right? No, that's not okay. Like, that's not normal, right? Mm-hmm. On February 1st, Maine State Police Detective Jeffrey Harmon traveled to Montana and talked to Larson man-to-man. During that interview, Larson admitted that the couple had gotten into a fight about their marriage and that she had pushed him. Larson said that she wanted to leave him and file for divorce. Larson became angry, and he said that he pushed her. He said she staggered backward, and she fell off of the cliff. Reportedly, he said to Detective Harmon, quote, I pushed her too hard, I guess. Probably a, a good assumption. Pushed on a cliff. Yeah, no doubt. A few days later, police arrested Larson for murder, and he pleaded guilty. He was sentenced to 50 years in prison and incarcerated at Thomaston Prison on August 24th, 1989. So I'm going to take a shot in the dark here, Becky, and say I think he probably wanted to collect on the $200,000 insurance policy that also had the double indemnity right in case of accidental death. So it would have paid him $400,000. A lot of money. Especially back then. Now that's a lot of money, but... Oh, that's true. Back then, that's a lot of money. Yes. Yeah, and I'm I'm not buying his story, not even for a second. I think it's pretty obvious that he they went to Acadia and he had that premeditated plan, don't you think? I completely agree. Well, especially if you remember the night before they went to Otter Cliffs. And too many people were there. And he sat in the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, while he was serving his time in Maine, Larson received a visit from a Montana Department of Justice investigation. He interviewed Larson on September 14th, 2000, and what Larson admitted to that day was something that many people really had already suspected for years. Finally, Larson admitted to pushing his first wife, Leslie, into Little Prickly Pear Creek on June 10th, back in 1975. He said he pushed her into the fast-moving water and watched her struggle as she traveled down the creek. Larson admitted that the plan had been in place in advance. He took his young wife, mother of his child, his baby. Remember, the baby was just a couple weeks old. Yeah. He took her to Prickly Pear that day just to kill her. In October of 2000, Dennis Larson was charged with Leslie's murder. Larson made plans to plead guilty, and in exchange for this, he would receive a 10-year prison sentence for the murder of Leslie. He was, of course, still serving time in Maine for Kathy Frost's murder, and so Montana had to patiently wait until they could extradite him. But before the case could proceed, Dennis Larson died by suicide at 50 years old in prison. Dennis Larson leaped to his death on Sunday, December 31st, 2000. He left a short note in his prison cell and walked to the prisoner's craft room. He opened a third-story window and jumped out at 8.05 p.m. His body hit the wall during the fall and he landed on rocks and granite below was a section of the prison's recreation yard. Larson had covered his mouth with duct tape and had written a single word, Geronimo, on the tape. He also clipped his nose with a clothespin. 
bizarre, isn't that, Mel? That is bizarre. I'm also shocked that he was able to open a window like that in a prison. That seems not... That's what I was thinking. Like, you can't even open a window at a hotel. Why do they have opening windows in prisons? Yeah, it seems very weird. Warden Jeffrey Merrill said the note he left was a type of correspondence, like not so much a suicide letter. The note written by Larson expressed his concern and fear of returning to Montana. When his body was recovered, his pants were pulled down around his knees. Apparently, when he jumped out the window, he went head first and his pants became caught on something which pulled them down. There was no sexual connotation to his pants being pulled down. The warden, the warden had assured the press. Warden Merrill reported that Larson did not have many friends at all in the prison, yet he'd never been a problem for the staff or guards. He reported that Larson had seemed genuinely remorseful for the murder of his first wife, Leslie Larson. Larson said he wanted to bring the family resolution and closure. So even though we did receive some answers to these suspicious deaths, it somehow like felt unfinished. It does feel unfinished for sure. Yeah. Dennis Raymond Larson selfishly murdered two of his wives. Leslie was a young mother who was cut down at the prime of her life. Kathy was a kind soul who just longed to have a husband and family. And he like selfishly took advantage of her loving heart. And all I can say is I'm glad the other wife got away with the child. At least the child was safe. I know, right? Oh, my goodness. I don't think I want to see how he would have fathered her, right? For sure. May these two women rest in peace and may their families have peace in their hearts. Leslie's remains are still missing. Please contact Brian Backberg at Lewis and Clark County Corner, 406-442-7398 if you have any information to bring Leslie's remains home to her family. Yeah, it's crazy to think that a second wife, the wife who, like, was able to divorce him, is the lucky one in this situation. I'm so glad she was able to escape to St. Paul and raise her daughter in peace. Yeah, I I agree. I'm really glad Julianne. I'm really glad Julia Ann had a good parent to raise her. And that's such a huge thing to take on as a step parent to adopt that child and just raise her as her own. Took her own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's just shout a really good Rocky Mountain red-handed for our listeners. Shall we, Becky? I think we can. Yeah, Montana, here you go. Courtesy of the Good News Network, which they are a sponsor, but they should be. We love them. (laughs) We have a great story. In July of 2023, the Blackfeet Nation released 30 wild bison back onto their land, which is a project that was nine years in the making. The tribe believes that this will be a momentous occasion for scientists to study the animal in its natural state. The bison arrived from Alberta, Canada in 2016 and were placed in a special grazing enclosure to test for, like, diseases. From there, the herd grew until they were loaded up into trailers and moved to the release site near Glacier National Park in Montana, around the perimeter of Chief Mountain, an area steeped in Blackfeet significance. A temporary area was made for them while they shed the stress of the road journey, and then a worker opened up the gate and all 30 rushed out into the wild, a moment which Blackfeet Councilman Lauren Monroe Jr. called absolutely epic. There at Chief Mountain, the bison will roam free, something which almost no bison herd in the country can do. There are massive fenced-in reserves and parks for the bison, so large that the bison might never see the fences for years at a time. But the fact that they are there changes the bison's natural behavior. Yeah, so this is a quote. Bison are almost always behind a fence, even when in a large area, said Rosalind Lapierre, who is a historian from the Blackfeet and the Metis. Quote, one thing scientists don't know is where bison want to go, she told the Missoulin. 
quote, they've always been fenced in, so we have no idea, as scholars and scientists, where they want to go when they roam. Even in Yellowstone, the bison are killed or relocated when they leave the border of the park. So this will be really interesting to see what happens, end quote. For Monroe Jr., however, it was his ancestors rather than scientists who he was really excited for. Imagine what they would think, say, and feel if they knew that land, bison, language, and culture would come back one day. Yeah, it is really, it's a really, really cool video. Like, it's beautiful. Like, the bison are kind of, like, moseying, and then when they realize they're, like, out in the open, these, like, beautiful green rolling Montana hills, they, like, take off. It's, go on social media. It's a really cool sight to see. That is so cool. And that's your Rocky Mountain Redemption. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. We want to remind you to follow us on our social medias. Facebook, you can just search our name, Rocky Mountain Red-Handed, and Instagram is at Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. And we will be back next week. So until then, keep, keep your, your hands, hands clean. clean.